gosh, wonderful sea of blues and shades, wonderful. Very attentive as well. So, yeah, so there are very many beautiful Dharma texts I'm inspired by and uh, could have chosen so many different texts. But the one I've chosen to talk about today is really quite a simple Dharma text and one which I reflect on at the moment, most days in my meditation practice. So it's something quite close to my heart and my, in my daily life. It's a reflection on the qualities of the Buddha. It's the Buddha Vaga, or salutation to the Buddha from the Tibetan Vandana, um, which we chant quite a bit in Pali, uh, and I've done that quite a lot over the years, you know, on retreats in particular. Um, yes, in, in fact, in relation to that, I've got to confess, I, uh, I've spent years finding it rather boring, actually, chanting the Tibetan Vandana. <laughs> And it's just a bit long. It's a bit long, isn't it? And uh, it just, sometimes it feels like it goes on forever ever and ever. Uh, and, I, and I think to myself, yeah, of course the Buddha was enlightened and full of wonderful qualities. So it wasn't really sort of touching me very much. Um, yeah. Uh, but it began, came to uh, feel much more alive for me uh, a few years ago when I began to call on the Buddha more and more as a sort of touchstone in my meditation practice. And remembering too that uh, it's an ancient tradition to bring the the words of the Tiratnavandana to mind as a contemplation of the Buddha uh, in the Buddhanu Sati practice, a meditation which is a sort of mindfulness and a contemplation of the Buddha and his qualities. And I, th I think as far as I remember this began on a solitary retreat three or four years ago uh, when I was painfully obsessing about something from the past, from my past. Uh, on a solitary retreat there's like there's nothing is there to distract you. There's, I didn't even need to get firewood um, so thoughts were going, sometimes going round and round in my mind and I'd sort of see through them, I'd work on them, I'd be my body, body awareness, I'd, you know, just uh, try and sort of be, bring my awareness to it and let them go and I'd do that, but they would return, a bit like Marcus's demons, they would return and the same thing would happen again and I remember going for walks uh, and yes, um, these, my mind would sort of slide towards painful memories and or sort of self-judgments, really. That why did I do that? And I, you know, should have known better. And why do I now not learn? Those sort of thoughts were coming up, and sort of a sort of rational mind didn't have had no answers to that. It wasn't really helping. And at that point, the only lasting peace I could find came from bringing the Buddha to mind, uh, how he was, and the freedom that he Im that he embodied for me, really. And when I did that, it sort of seemed to touch something very deep in me and so the knots of that process of, in my mind, um, I just sort of got, they sort of dissolved and I sort of, something had lifted me out of that predicament into a realm of a feeling of a, a you know, deeper, well, I suppose it sort of connected with me with my faith in him, a very deep faith in the beauty of his being and a real appreciation and a gratitude for what he'd done. Um, Yes, yeah, sometimes I thought about the many stories from the Pali Canon uh, that bring out his humanity, in particular his personality. I love reading those stories where you can really uh, glimpse him as a human being, as we are. Um, very beautifully described. Um, yeah, so, so I can imagine him as a person and sort of from that perspective, somehow you can sort of comparatively feel his, his wisdom and his extraordinariness. Uh, and in particular... I was very, very inspired by him as a sharer of the Dharma in the really early uh, teachings, uh, the very early suttas of the Pali Canon. And they're the ones that sort of record his life 
before he started formulating and talking from, as it seems, those Dharmic lists uh, and teachings, uh, where he's really sharing his experience and his wisdom, sort of person to person, one to one, in very, just quite creative, unique sort of ways. Uh, and the Sutta Nipata is my favourite of these. Actually, Ratnaguna is sitting here who introduced me, in a way, to the Sutta Nipata on an order retreat. So I'm grateful to you for that, Ratnaguna. Very, very lovely. So in the Sutta Nipata, it's, it's one of the, maybe the very first uh, uh, sort of uh, collections of his, of his sayings. The Buddha's really, really natural. And he, you sort of see him moving towards people who he can see are trying to find the truth, but they're looking for it fruitlessly in the wrong place. Um, he asks them what they're doing and what they're searching for. And then he responds to them using their own language and their own framework and their own terms of reference. And he's so kind and he's so skillful as he moves towards these people. And so, um, yeah, just very, very moving, actually, just to sort of, I was sort of reflecting on that about the Buddha. There's a story of someone who's trying to perfect making fire offerings. Um, and the Buddha enters into that world and he advises this man how to make the supreme, the best fire offering. Uh, and, and he says, well, if you really bring your mindfulness to that in the moment, you'll bring your whole heart to that experience and then that will be the perfect fire offering. And so he's in a way, he's teaching him the Dharma so that he can perfect his fire offering, which is what he's really interested in, what's the supreme fire offering. In that way, he goes deeper and deeper and becomes more and more wise. And uh, eventually, uh, anyway, he, he, he uh, really resonates with that and asks the Buddha to become his disciple. So he's quite won over by that. Um, yes, so yeah, quite often bring the Buddha to mind at the start of meditation in that way. Um, yes. Yes, and uh, so what I often do is imagine the Buddha simply sitting in the jungle. Um, he sits outside what I think of as his hut or his kuti. I sort of got this particular hut, I imagine, in the middle of this forest. Um, and he's sitting very quietly, often as if in meditation. And I just sit with him. Uh, and I'm just feeling myself to be in his presence. I think, wow, that's the Buddha over there. And I'm sitting here. And it's just, that's just amazing. And I just sort of use the force of my imagination to sort of make it come to life. And I imagine what he might have looked like, uh, his sort of thin, worn uh, rags of clothing. Sort of, I imagine it you know, died in that yellow mud in the Indian plains, um, roughly shaven head or beard or even with long hair. Uh, and I imagine, try to imagine the expression on his face. And that's what really sort of touches me sometimes is uh, trying to work myself into that. What might the expression be on a Buddha's face? Uh, what might his kindness and his wisdom and his peacefulness have looked like? Um, and I sort of just try to imagine that's what he looks like. Um, and for that particular thing, in, in maybe, maybe that aspect in particular, I found it very helpful bringing to mind some of the qualities that have come out in the T. Ratnavandana, in the, the verse from the T. Ratnavandana. And I sort of just dwell on those qualities as I bring the Buddha to mind. And I've been using the English translation of the T. Ratnavandana that we have in the Puja book, but I, for myself, I changed some of the words to make them more gender inclusive for me uh, so that they sort of touch me more deeply and straightforwardly. So instead of men, I say beings, that sort of thing, because somehow men doesn't quite do it for me, some sort of reason. That <laughs> <laughs> so I had recently. So this is, the, this is the little verse I recall, and I do it very, very slowly. Such indeed is he, the richly endowed, the free, the fully and perfectly awake. Equipped with knowledge and practice, the happily attained. 
knower of the world, guide unsurpassed of beings to be tamed, teacher of gods and humans, the awakened one richly endowed. All my life I go for refuge to the awakened one. Uh, yes, yeah, so I sort of contemplate the Buddha sitting in the jungle and I try to imagine what he might look like, what it might look like if you were completely free, uh, fully and perfectly awake. And uh, I find those, both those phrases just exhilarating. Uh, I just sort of just try when I open myself to them. And I say, so I say the verses to myself very, very slowly, sort of bringing the Buddha to mind in my mind's eye. And I just don't hurry. So I, I sort of wait with each, uh, each part of each of those w words. Um, such indeed is he, the richly endowed, but in particular the, the free, the fully and perfectly awake, and the happily attained, those are the ones I uh, spend quite a lot of time on. So completely free, um, well that's still, I just feel that's just, just feels, uh, I suppose it's something I really, really aspire to be free. And the sense of just being bound and tied down, I've had so many habits and fixed self-views which have, you know, bound me for being in a particular way all my life. And sometimes I, you know, just, just feel just so sort of bound up by that. So we just, or I find probably many of us are driven by habits and there's a sort of constraint and a limitation um, that make me think I can't be different um, can't flourish in a free-flowing creativity. It can't be. It can't be me that can be free-flowing and creative and free and in, in that sort of endless beauty. Um, and then there's the freedom from craving and self-centeredness. Uh, it would just be wonderful to be free from that irritation and resentment that crops up when somebody gets to the, the kettle before me in the community in the morning, and you know. Uh, and I sort of try to ignore it, so that's not me feeling irritable because I've just been meditating. Uh, so I want to—I just would like to just be free of that. That would be just to, just to sort of embrace, embrace sort of you know equanimity really in a very deep way. So I look at the Buddha and I see that freedom in his face. I just imagine the freedom in his face, in the expression on his face, in the way he holds his body. There's a sort of freedom that's there, and I—I you know, I sort of see it that in him, that sense of peace. And then, I'm going a bit fast because 15, I'm not sure how long 15 minutes is. Uh, and then I move on to fully and perfectly awake. Uh, fully and perfectly awake. And I sort of let that drop into my heart, that phrase. And the phrases mean something a bit different to me every day. Uh, fully and perfectly awake. And sometimes they don't mean anything to me, I have to admit that. And I sort of think, oh well, not a good day. <laughs> But, you know, the, often they mean quite different things. And so, it could fully and perfectly awake, not fuzzy-minded, not all fuzzy and confused and um, uh, feeling awake. I've woken up uh, alert and mindful. Um, aware. So the Buddha, it feels like, well, the Buddha is completely aware. Uh, that He's uh, utterly aware. And that's a sort of receptivity and an openness in that. So the Buddha is completely open, completely receptive. Um, just imagining what that might be like as well, like not having barriers to whatever's going on, whatever somebody's like, no prejudices, nothing getting in the way of just taking somebody in in their being uh, as they are, without all my ideas about them and my history, like none of that would be there. So he'd be completely open, completely open, no prejudice, nothing in the way. And again, that just feels really wonderful. Um, 
imagine that. And I, yeah, I sort of just imagine again what the Buddha might look like, uh, sitting there very peacefully with that clear awareness, that openness in his face, open to me as well, uh, just completely receptive and open. In, you know, when you read the teachings and the stories in the Pali Canon, he is completely open to uh, everybody he meets. He doesn't sort of just teach that person, he won't teach that person. He, he's open to everybody. Uh, he, yeah, there's a wonderful story of him teaching this mad woman who wanders naked into the circle of the monks and people are laughing at her and saying, go away. And he just walks towards her uh, and says, recover your presence of mind. And he's just so open just to, it's very, very moving actually, that sees each person uh, with their potential um, very fully. Yeah, so I find that all very thrilling as well, that when I'm really connecting with that, uh, and I have a sort of longing, I feel my heart opening with a longing for that freedom and that uh, awareness. And few moments of a deep attraction for nirvana and less attraction to the sort of transient and dubious pleasures of the world. Yeah, the Buddha spoke of the pleasures of the world being dusty, which I can sort of relate to. There, there is definite pleasure out there, but it's sort of dusty. Uh, it, hasn't, it doesn't sparkle, it, um, and the pleasure of the, of the happiness of Nirvana being clear and bright and fresh uh, and new. And I get a glimpse of what that might mean, what he might mean by that. And then lastly, the last little bit I really love is the Buddha was happily attained. And I always smile, I do usually smile at this one, uh, happily attained. I love it that the Buddha, the Buddha was happily attained, it seems right that he would be. Uh, it seems sort of healthy and, and very wholesome in a sense. It, we're, we're not practicing a teaching which leads to, to some sort of drooling uh, attainment of something really beyond, but actually it's not very human, it's not very happy. Um, of course the Buddha worked incredibly hard, he practiced incredibly hard. With total dedication and total intensity he sort of saw through the truth unaided pretty much, didn't he? He worked it, worked it out for himself. But the impression you get is that it wasn't forced or strained. Uh, he practiced from the heart. He practiced from a real longing for freedom. Uh, his urge to gain enlightenment seemed to come from that very, very deep longing uh, to sort of get away from uh, greed, hatred and delusion. And you get the feeling the Buddha was, was happy in his freedom and that's what he wanted to share very openly. So yeah, these are the words I usually contemplate and I let them sort of play in my mind or drop in my heart. And contemplating them well, I guess I really want my faith in the three jewels to deepen and become more real. And I want to give myself that opportunity uh, to become, you know, that faith to become less abstract, to become more alive and more present in me. Um, yeah. And sometimes, uh, on, particularly on retreat, I have a bit more time and I reflect also on the Dharma jewel and the Sangha jewel in a similar sort of way, but sort of bringing in aspects to do with those jewels because they're all three are truths, aren't they? And, and my, one's mind loves to go into the truth. So it's something about my mind, it loves to sit with those truths. There's nothing untrue about those jewels. And it's, it's sort of exhilarating to be with them too. Uh, yes, yeah, so I do some sort of reflection with that every day. And I think it has brought me closer to the Buddha as well. I'm sure it's brought me closer to the Buddha. Uh, and one day, actually, early in the year, I was meditating, having a rather dry and abstracted sort of, distracted sort of meditation um, as I fairly often do. 
uh, and I found myself whisked away. I, it's just like I was transported from there and plunged into a dark forest. Uh, it was a deep, impenetrable forest, uh, far from any civilization and completely silent. The silent and the darkness was just really lovely, actually. I just felt completely uh, uh, secluded, I suppose, alone, and I could feel that profound silence in my ears. There was no sense of being anywhere in particular. Uh, the, I didn't know the world was there or here or there or there. It was like I was just in this space, uh, completely uh, out of time, really, and out of space, I suppose. And light rays were sort of slanting down through the trees in the forest. So I think it might have been moonlight. Uh, it could have been a, a sort of uh, very faint. The trees were very thick in this jungle. It's light rays slanting down through the trees. And then I realised I was sitting beside a path in the forest and I sort of looked up and just across the way I saw this ankle, uh, an ankle with a robe flapping just above the ankle. And it was, I just saw this ankle, um, this robe, like a robe figure walking away from me and I knew it was the Buddha walking on that path. And um, yeah, it just felt very um, happy, I suppose. It felt, felt very present and serene and riveted to the spot by that. And I just didn't want to be anywhere else. And I do take myself back to that place uh, sometimes, to that... Uh, I wouldn't have imagined wanting to sit in the darkness in a forest particularly, but I do, and it feels like I can just let go of, uh, let go of the world, I guess. Um, I've never... And actually, strangely, it's strange, really, because I've never been attracted to renunciation. I love things of the world, and as people know, uh, I love beauty, I love food and clothing, and I love pottery and cakes and things. I just love nature, external beauty. I haven't wanted to let go of any of that, really. Uh, but, you know, this arrival, it's, you know, this, in a way, everything to do with the Dharma, really, it has its beauty, which is far more beautiful. And arriving in that forest glade was, was something of that uh, really, really lovely. Um, yeah. Mm. So I, I think I'll just close now, end by saying the whole of that Buddha section of the Tiratnavandana and I just invite you, if you'd like to, to close your eyes and imagine yourself in the forest with the Buddha. Uh, as we, as I just say, the whole of that section now, I just gave a part of it, but I'll just go through the whole of it. Such indeed is he, the richly endowed, the free, the fully and perfectly awake, equipped with knowledge and practice, the happily attained, Knower of the worlds, guide unsurpassed of beings to be tamed, teacher of gods and humans, the awakened one, richly endowed. All my life I go for refuge to the awakened one, to all the awakened of the past, to all the awakened yet to be, to all the awakened that now are. My worship flows unceasingly. No other refuge than the awakened. Refuge supreme is there for me. O oh, by the virtue of this truth, may grace abound and victory.